weeks. It was kind of like a, a click of a finger and my whole life kind of got turned upside down. Hugo Tuvi has had just about the worst luck a man could have, but he also happens to be about as resilient as anyone could be. 22-year-old, bald-headed, pale, skinny, fatigued, staring, staring at myself in the mirror thinking, you know, shit, this isn't where I expect to be. He was on the cusp of launching his army career when he was diagnosed with testicular cancer at 21. So I suppose I felt alone and vulnerable and and it was very difficult to really express that to other people. Then, after five years in remission and getting his life back where he wanted it, the unthinkable happened. He was suddenly struck with bowel cancer. The mind can be a pretty powerful thing and it can be pretty dangerous if you let it do its own thing at a vulnerable time. Despite these life-altering ordeals that he's still battling today, he's still standing, still striving to be all he can be, and using his story to educate young men about the importance of going to the doctor when something's not quite right and the life-saving difference early detection can make. Went from one minor-ish surgery and removed my testicle to a whole, you know, whole new bloody journey. He's humble and doesn't like to be called inspiring, but it's hard to describe him any other way. His determination will fire you up to make the most of what you've got and not take your health for granted. Not until you go through something like that where you realise that, holy shit, life can be pretty precious and it can be taken away pretty quickly. So that's when you, you really just soak up those moments when you do feel, you know, fantastic. He's a man we can all learn from and it was a pleasure chatting to him as he prepared for yet another major surgery. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast about young men's health sponsored by the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's get into it. So, to say that you've been through a lot uh, doesn't really even begin to do justice to your story. Can you take us back to when you were 21? So, when I was 21, I had... um. About six months left before I graduated as an officer in the army at the Royal Military College Duntra. And so, you know, at that stage, I was 21. I was pretty fit and healthy. And to be honest with you, something like cancer didn't even really cross my mind. It was more trying to graduate RMC after about three and a half years of training was was pretty much my priority at that point in time. But um, yeah, so I suppose I was sitting in my room and I called up my dad to wish him happy birthday. And um I remember that day pretty clear because on a completely unrelated side, and then I said, yeah, look, Dad, I've got this little lump on my right testicle. Uh, what do you reckon? And he said, look, mate, you probably should just go to the GP, which makes sense. And I didn't really think too much of it, but I'd kind of been putting that off for a while. How, how obvious was the lump? Was it, um, was it something that, you know, it was pretty clear change or could you justify that maybe it was something that had always been there and you, and you hadn't noticed? No, nah, you could definitely notice it, mate. Like, I, I don't even know how long I had it for, but I definitely had it for for months, um, you know, any, it could have even been six months. It could have even been longer. Like it was one of those things when you get out of the shower or, you know, most blokes, you know, know what their, uh, their balls and stuff feels yeah. like really. Like it's just the part of your body, right? So I, um, it was like a, a pea-sized hard lump. So picture like a hard pea that's just kind of just continually sitting in that same spot. And you, you kind of know was that it painful? it's not right. No, it wasn't painful. So that was the difficult part because that didn't, urged me to go to a doctor because it wasn't yeah. painful, but it was still obvious. Like you knew it was there. And I think deep down, I was just hoping that it would just magically go away. So I kind of just mm, kept putting I, it I off. I think that's the, that's the classic response from especially guys, isn't it? Like, oh, well, I really don't want this to be what it could be. So I'm just going to sort of not think about it and hope that it disappears. Oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. That's exactly what's going through my mind. I think the the, the longer that sort of weeks and months go by you, and it's still there, you kind of think, you know, shit. <laughs> I wonder what it is, but even then, like something like cancer wouldn't even cross my mind because you know I'm only yeah. I'm only a 21 year old bloke. Yeah, and of course, no one's going to expect that something like that would happen to them, and even less still when we're in the prime of our lives, and you know we've got so much to do, and we've only just begun. I can imagine that that thought you just you know you can't even entertain that because you're you're busy living your life. Well, that's it, mate. It's um, yeah. and look, I've, I don't even have any history of any cancer in the family or anything, so like it's not like it's something that. I knew a lot about it. It's there's no none of my family members have ever had cancer. None of my close family or friends or anyone's ever had cancer. So for me, it's like, well, why would I be any different? That's one of the thoughts that goes through your head. It's like, well, it's not in the it's not in the two V family, so you know, it wouldn't be that. It would it'd be something else, like nothing to worry about. Probably is yeah. that sort of what was gone through your head? Oh, mate, for sure. Even when even when I went over to the doctor and 
and you know he pulled your dax down like he does and has a little feel around and you're kind of <laughs> standing there feeling a bit like a bloody goober and a bit uncomfortable um even then when he kind of feels something and goes yeah look mate there's uh, definitely a lump there or like we'll send you off for an ultrasound even then like nothing even none none of me even comprehends that it's going to be anything too serious i just kind of oh yeah whatever i'll go get an ultrasound too easy <laughs> yeah yeah and you know it's uncomfortable that moment when i suppose lots of people are going to put that off because they imagine going to the doctor and then having to have their pants pulled down and then the doctor's going to fill around in that area and that's uncomfortable for anyone but you know having experienced that yourself and i i have as well you know it's not as bad as you make it out to be in your head and it can potentially make all the difference can you, can you just tell us a little bit about early detection yeah for sure and i think that's what i've learned through my my journey where i'm now where i'm today is that early detection is vital early detection for most cancers it it, it can be that the deal breaker with you know cancer spreading and basically if for, for a lot of the times it can be life and death so for me early detection is something i'm very passionate about because especially something like testicular cancer the symptoms are obvious whereas a lot of there are there are some cancers where the symptoms aren't that obvious so by the time you do notice something it could be stage three and you know things aren't looking great however with testicular cancer usually the symptoms are pretty obvious when i say usually obviously there are exceptions and, and they are like i said the, the the hard lump on the testicle or some men might get a you know enlarged testicle or there might be some pain around the, the scrotum area so there's these types of symptoms but <laughs> the thing I say to people is if there's any, like, you know, you're normal better than anyone, you know, your body better than anyone. You see your body every day. You have a shower every day. You'd, you know, feel around your body every day. Right. So as soon as something, you know, that something isn't your normal. So it's like, shit, where did that rash come from? Or shit, where did that little lump come from? That is usually a sign to say, Hey, look, I might as well go to a doctor here. There's no, there's no shame in doing that. And I think that I learned that the hard way. Cause I did put off that initial symptom that I mentioned, and, and unfortunately, my testicular cancer had spread, probably because of my me being naive and me putting it off. If I'd gone in, you know, three four months earlier, who knows? I may have had to, I may have got in early, and I may have avoided, you know, all the further treatment and chemotherapy and, and and the like. And I suppose that most of the time, when you notice something, you know, it it will be fine. It, it won't be cancer. It'll it'll be something else that you know is more treatable that it will that will go away or or nothing at all. But the point is that, you know, just because you're young or you don't have a history of it in your family, it doesn't matter. You could still be that unlucky person that has that diagnosis and you can't just assume because that doesn't fit the picture of the way you want your life to go that it's not going to happen. No, for sure, mate. And you, 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 yeah, hit the nail on the head right there as well. I don't, you know, tell my story and share my story and and, you know, go on a podcast like this to, to scare people and say, hey, you're going to get cancer. Because like you said, truth be told, yes, testicular cancer is one of the most, well, is the most common cancer in young men from sort of 15 to 30-ish. Um, that being said, it's still not a common cancer to get. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it if you're 15 or 30. But like you said, it also doesn't mean that, you know, you're not invincible. Um, so I think that's the important thing for people to realize that, yes, a lump on their testicle or a rash, it might not be cancerous, but hey, <laughs> you never know. So I always say to people, it is better to be safe than sorry. And I can tell you right now, if over my journey, I'd gone to the doctor and got some results back and he said, nah, mate, it's nothing serious. I would have loved hearing those words come out of the doctor's mouth. So don't ever think that your situation is not serious enough for you to go off to a doctor and there's nothing wrong with you going to a doctor and for their not, then there for to be nothing serious because I can tell you right now, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's not a wasted waste of time by any means. So uh, after they they said yes, it's testicular cancer, and then um, they went in to operate, and you went down to one nut. Yeah, mate, I uh, um, I went down to the one nut, and that's they remove your the affected testicle in, in all cases of testicular cancer. Um, and then you know I was a young twenty one year old bloke, so I chose to have the prosthetic testicle, which some people choose to have, some people don't choose to have, and that was my <laughs> my decision. Um, and then yeah, I went in from there. Was it sort of your mindset that you know that was a, that was a real tough thing to have to get through, but you know, sarah sarah, we've got it fixed up now. We'll be right. Is that sort of what you? Yeah, were Yeah, look, to be honest with you, if I went through that, say, you know, in my thirties or forties, and I had some children, I had a partner. I didn't have a partner at the time. Um, I probably wouldn't have got it. To me, it would have been like, well, I don't, I don't need it. It doesn't, it doesn't serve a purpose. It's purely there as a, um, as a prosthetic to 
to make you, I guess, have a bit of normality down below, if you want to call it that. So I, the reason I chose to have it was purely because I was a single bloke. I was 21. And I thought that, you know, it is a bit embarrassing in my mind if I was walking around with one testicle that's pretty obvious. So I said, yeah, look, let's get a fake testicle. That's honestly the rationale behind the decision. Um, but there's nothing more to it. I don't even know I've got it. I've, I hardly notice it's ever even there. And it's just literally part of me now. So that's that. In cutting out the testicle, they were thinking, you know, hopefully we've got it all. And then that'll be the end of the story. Mm. Um but that wasn't what happened. Yeah, and this is, you know, when we touch on early detection, the, for most, when I say most, a, a large majority of testicular cancer survivors, if you catch it early enough, surgery to remove the affected testicle is, is usually the only treatment you need um, because that is, it, it's, it's one of the important parts of early detection because once you get that, that testicle out, then usually it's happy days. However, if like me, you know, you might not get in early as you, you should have or it had spread, it, it does spread upwards. So, um, you know, you might be familiar with Lance Armstrong and he had testicular cancer and basically his testicular cancer spread to his lymph nodes, it spread to his liver, lung, chest region, it kept spreading upwards till it spread to his brain uh, and he got given less yep. than 10% chance to live because he, he kept putting the symptoms off to the point that he was literally coughing out blood and passing out from, um, you know, had tumors in his brain, and that's that's when he decided to go to the doctor. So and we're s- still riding, yeah. A bike. So yeah, whilst riding a bike, so that just goes to show, like some people just get so ignorant in the fact that something's wrong, and they just keep putting it off. So look, and I go, I guess also in his case, you know, doing things on the bike that no one had ever done before, and having that stronger than anyone else, the mindset of of being invincible and being unstoppable, that kind of mindset that you have to. Um, foster to get to that level that perhaps plays into well I can't admit that this this might be a problem because that's gonna that's gonna stop me in my tracks oh, mate spot on and that that's the that's the issue that that I'm finding um it, it's getting better but it's still there is that stigma amongst you know young men especially or or men especially and I'm you know I'm in the army so I've got that army background and even more so there's that stigma you know being a bloke in the army you know it's that kind of she'll be right mentality that kind of tough mentality that you know you are invincible mm. and I think that's where the issues lie because it doesn't doesn't matter who you are where you're from or what you're doing something like cancer doesn't discriminate yeah she won't be right unless you go and make sure it's, it's all right. <laughs> that's it and that's it I think it's it's <laughs> it's and it's all just creating that conversation and like you're doing now mate with a you know this podcast is that it just normalizes that for for young men to realize that actually yeah me going to see the doctor and checking my balls out that's not actually a big deal or you know those types of things is what going to it's what it's what's going to change that stigma for men to realize that actually um, let's do something about this yeah and just how much pain you can obviously save yourself by getting onto it quick because and I didn't know this I didn't know how crucial it was to get in get detected early and really limit that time frame um, because people might think, oh, well, you know, if I was to have cancer, then I suppose I've got it. And where I, when I go and get that checked, it's not really going to make a difference, but it actually it can make it can make all the difference. And yeah, for me, that's exactly right. Because I, I didn't probably get it as early as I should have. It had spread. And for me, it spread to my abdominal lymph nodes. Um, that's the whole when I was saying it spreads up. And, and that did mean I had to go uh, and have some chemotherapy treatment. Uh, and then after that, unfortunately, I then required some pretty ma- um, further major surgery as well. So, you know, it, it went from being a, a relatively simple-ish process. When I say simple, it's still, you know, you've still had cancer and it's still a big, big moment in your life. However, it went from one minor-ish surgery and removed my testicle to a whole, you know, whole new bloody journey uh, with the cancer, with chemotherapy and further surgeries purely because I probably put it off. And you went from, I assume, sort of being on top of the world there uh, when you're about to finish and graduate to become an officer in the army, you know, young guy was on the path to doing what he wanted to do and being who he wanted to be and, you know, nothing could stop you. And then, you know, not too long after that, find yourself in chemotherapy and I suppose feeling as much the opposite of that as one possibly could. How did you, how did you take that all on board? mentally how did you get through that yeah look it was it was actually really difficult um and one of yeah, the more difficult parts of my testicular cancer journey was exactly that you know I, I just graduated and so it was a proud moment I'm with you know all my family and friends and my family flew over and it was uh, it was basically it was in Canberra and and you know we went out for some drinks that night and then literally six I think it was I think it was literally six days later um 
I commenced my first round of chemotherapy. So, you know, whilst all my army mates are out there enjoying their summer break, enjoying Christmas and then, you know, venturing into their new new journey and new career in the army as a young lieutenant, um, I just started chemo and over the entire summer I was being smashed with with chemo. So look, it was a difficult moment because I kind of, my army career was put on hold before it even really started. And that was a difficult thing for me to go through because I there were so many unknowns with chemo and further surgeries and what was going to happen with my testicular cancer that I felt like I, I hadn't even really experienced much of life yet. And here I was as a 22-year-old, bald-headed, pale, skinny, fatigued, stare, staring at myself in the mirror thinking, you know, shit, <laughs> this isn't where I expected to be and this isn't, you know, I just, I look like a completely different person. So look, it was difficult to, to take that all in for sure. And such a fast turnaround going from being strapping young guy who was yeah on top of the world physically mentally excited for where you're going and then to be looking in, your, in the mirror less than was it less than a year later it was literally like it was a week later mate like i remember my brother yeah. my brother shaved my head um you know pr- pr- um, preparing for the chemo because i knew my hair would fall out and then your hair falls out pretty quick and you go downhill very quick with the uh, with the chemo drugs for testicular cancer so it was you know within a matter of like weeks it was kind of like a <laughs> A click of a finger and my whole life kind of got turned upside down and, and I was a completely different person. I wasn't a, a young army officer. I was a, a typical cancer patient. What were the emotions that you remember being the most dominant at that time? Look, for me, it was the vulnerability um, side of things because I, 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 felt, I felt like I had no control of what was happening. And I'm one of those people who really like having control over situations and and going through something like cancer, chemo, it's just it's a whole new world, especially as a young bloke who was only 22 at that stage. And it's something that you can't ever prepare for. So I suppose I felt alone and vulnerable and and it was very difficult to really express that to other people because no one could really relate. You know, I can't tell my mate, oh, this is what I'm going through really because how, how are they going to be able to relate to that? So that was the biggest one, mate. It's it's just that feeling of being scared of the unknowns and that really feeling vulnerable about having that no control over what was happening. Did you feel angry as well? Did you feel like, you know, so hard done by that the world and the universe must have something against you to put you in this position? Or how did you stop yourself from developing a negative mindset and, and spiraling downward? It's an interesting question, actually. I've, I've been asked that a, a few times about the whole anger and I actually didn't feel angry because I, I don't know. I, I kind of just thought, well, well, this is the these are the cards I've been handed, and I just I was more worried about you. Kind of go in survival mode, really. Like you kind of you don't feel angry because it's more the well, I just want to get through this chemo and I want to start feeling better. And yeah, because you know, anger doesn't it doesn't serve you. Correct, and that, and that's that. And look, over my time, and you know, obviously, I've not, since had had bowel cancer and certain other issues in my life. I, I have had those anger type emotions, but at that point in time with my testicular cancer, where I was at, I wasn't angry, to be honest. It was more, uh, like I said, you just go into that survival mode more than anything. You must be have a pretty relentless spirit, though, to be able to switch that on and go, oh, well, that is yeah. fucked. <laughs> um, but, you know, next job, uh, we got to, if, if anyone's going to get me through it, it's me, and I have to be the one to stay as positive as I can and, and keep pushing. But there must be some people who get cancer or other terrible things happen to them and they they mentally they can't they can't cope with it. Oh for sure, mate, for sure. And this um, you know, the twenty five stay alive community that I've I've since started, you you meet so many remarkable people from all around the world and, and a lot of cancer survivors and young cancer survivors and, and you know, I have spoken to people who have really struggled uh, during uh, and post their their cancer journey and post their diagnosis and it's it can be extremely difficult and there's no right or wrong you know like I'm not a perfect bloke and I still have down days uh, absolutely not and I'm open with that because I think it's important it's okay to know that you can have those days where you just you do get angry and you do say you know for fuck's sake this does suck that being said you know there are people yeah. that struggle the more the most and I think cancer is a huge mental battle as well as physical uh, and some of the the darker days I've had over my journey, I often say the the mental pain of what I was going through, and you know, I'd call it depression, would be a lot more, I guess, damaging than the physical pain than for what I was going through post surgeries, etc. So the mental battle is uh, definitely part of a cancer. Anyone going through cancer, and it can be extremely challenging. 
And when you got chemo the first time, how long was that happening before you went into remission? So one of the good things with testicular cancer is that it is uh, highly curable. Uh, even if it does spread, it, it typically is pretty highly curable. And uh, the, that's because it's very responsive to the chemo. So the, the bad of that is that the chemo is very potent uh, and it, it does hit you very, very hard. And so all chemo is different and I tell people that all the time. People don't realize that there are so many hundreds and hundreds of different chemo cocktails and drugs and combinations used for all sorts of different cancers. And the cocktail, if you want to call it that, for testicular cancer, which was designed by a guy called Larry Einhorn, and that's made it extremely, testicular cancer extremely curable because it's so effective to testicular cancer. So I was fortunate in that regard that I knew from the outset that it was very likely that this chemo would do its job and it did knock me around a lot. That being said, however, it went for about sort of four months all up, which I had four cycles of what's called EP because I couldn't have bleomycin, which people people listening who have been affected by testicular cancer would be very well aware of bleomycin. That can affect your lungs. Unfortunately, it did affect my lungs, so I had to have an extra extra cycle or two of of the other two chemo drugs. And and then so all, all, all up overall, it was about sort of four cycles and about sort of three, four months all up. And when you say it knocked you around, I'm guessing you're understanding that a bit. What were you able to do physically when that was going on? Yeah, look, for, for me, uh, I struggled quite a bit. I was pretty active leading into it, uh, obviously being in the army and going through army training. So, you know, I struggled to walk more than sort of 100 metres and I'd, I'd had some days where you'd just feel so sick and you couldn't really eat. You'd just be in bed all day. Um, whereas, you know, you speak to some people who are going through chemo and they can go for runs and get out and about and, that, and that's fantastic. But what people need to realise is that, like I said before, there are so many different chemo drugs and then also the human body reacts differently to the chemo so everyone's different um so never compare yourself and go oh, why is that guy across the corridor bloody doing cartwheels down the hallway and i'm curled up on my bed um you know don't be down on yourself for that because you could just be really struggling with the chemo drugs which i did i did struggle with it so look i never actually got physically sick because the anti-nausea medication they have these days is um is really good uh, however you just have that constant feeling of feeling sick if you know what I mean, so without physically vomiting. It's like yeah. picture you've had a big hangover and that feeling of when you're lying in bed and certain movements make you feel sick more than others and it's kind of just, it's literally, just like it's, it's like that 24-7. You're just kind of in that. But with none of the, no, none of the fun. Correct. It's literally it. like that the whole time and you're weak, you're tired, you've got no strength and it's just that ongoing feeling really. That's the best way to explain it. When you've been in chemo, um, how conscious have you been of time passing you by when you're sort of lying there do you feel like have you felt like at times that your your life's slipping away and you're missing out on all this uh stuff that you should be doing is that something that comes into your mind yeah look it does mate and i've had that to be honest with you throughout my whole two battles with cancer but um you know specifically to chemo looking back at it now it's absolutely and you have days it's it's no different to post-surgery days as well is where you you feel like you know, a whole day is just gone. I'm big one for wanting, you need to distract your, your brain and you need to distract your mind because yeah. the mind can be a pretty, uh, pretty powerful thing and it can be pretty, pretty dangerous if you, let it, you know, doing, if you let it do its own thing at a vulnerable time. So if you're having chemo, you're sick, you're in hospital, your mind can kind of you know, go off in a little tangent and it can be pretty da- um, dangerous. So I found that you know, binge watching shows and just kind of distracting myself was the best way around that. However, that being said, you know, days would just blend into one really. Uh, and then, but you know, that's not a bad thing, hey, because in the end of the day, you just want to get through the chemo as quick as you can, however way you can. So if it meant that, you know, a week went pretty quickly, then to be honest with you, that was a, that was a good thing. And then you got into remission for years after that testicular cancer battle, didn't you? Uh, well, yeah, so I did eventually. So unfortunately, after my chemo, I still had to have a pretty full-on operation called uh, retroperitoneal lymph node dissection um, because the chemo, it, it did most of the job, but there was still a little bit of a residual mass in my lymph nodes. So I had to have um, a very full-on operation where they just remove every single one of your abdominal lymph nodes. That's the really, that's the really rare, rare one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's like, uh, it is very rare these days, especially post-chemo. You, you rarely hear of a post-chemo RPLND is what it's called. And it, you know, it was about an eight-hour operation, and it's it's bloody full on. And 
my surgeon had only done one of those in the previous two years when he did it. So it, it's uh, it's not something they do often, but for me, unfortunately, I fell into that little um, minority, which I seem to always fall in in, in my my. Yeah, do you just feel like you've got the absolute rawest deal of all time of of anyone oh, with so, uh, when it comes to it, because it seems like whatever the worst possible outcome could generally be. You've you've managed to be been stuck with it. Oh, for sure. I said that to my partner the other day. I said it's it's not really reassuring. And I saw a surgeon the other day for an upcoming surgery. I've gotten he listed all the the complications and the percentages, and you've got twenty percent chance of this and ten percent, and all these percentages come out. In my head, I'm like Jesus Christ. You know, I'm pretty likely that it's going to be me that falls into those percentages, and it's um it's it's not the best way to think. But at the same time, it's it's uh, completely understandable considering my my history of what I've gone through, but, you know, it's one of those things. But also with so all that you've managed to get through, you must also just hear the percentages these time, these days or um, and just say, you know, fuck percentages. It doesn't matter what the percentage is because I, I know I'll get through it no matter how bad it sort of looks for me. That seems to be uh, what your attitude's been. Yeah, no, good point, mate. It is a good point. Sometimes, you know, percentages are purely there based off, you know. Oh, you must be sick of percentages. <laughs> yeah, look, I, mate, and so they, they sometimes have to say it and it's one of those things that you're spot on. I just said, at the end of the day, I just want to get through the surgery. I want to get through the next bloody, you know, couple months and just, you know, move on with my life. And that's, that's been my attitude throughout my chemo days, my surgery days, my, you know, my cancer journey is exactly that. It's like, well, let's just get through the short term and focus on that and then, once we do that, it's just you get into recovery mode, and then before you know it, you're you're back to a, a pretty normal state. So after you had that that major surgery, then you were cancer free for a while. Yeah, mate. So I um, went on a big recovery um, rehab, and my goal was to work my way back to be deployable in the army, which is that was my goal to join the army to get deployed and and live that dream. And so whilst I went through that, you know, chemo and surgeries and the recovery and rehab. Obviously, I wasn't deployable, so it took me uh, a couple of years to get to that standard where I could pass all the physical fitness tests and get deployed, which is fantastic. I got promoted to captain in the army after four years, um, which you know, once again, that was a, a very proud moment in my life. And then it was June last year, so 2018, um, was when I officially got my sort of five-year clear, clear CT scan for my testicular cancer. So that's kind of you know, I don't know if, if you're indirectly been affected by cancer, but for a lot of cancers and a lot of people listening, that, you know, that's it's a big checkpoint. Yeah, it? yeah, that oh, five-year mark, because it kind of means that, you know, you're officially in complete remission and the chances of any sort of relapse after that five-year mark becomes so minuscule that it's almost zero. So that's why um, people usually target like that five-year and you, you often see it on social media and people put posts up saying, you know, five years, all clear. And it, it's it's and then the next one's, you know, the 10-year and, you know, it's it, they're big milestones. So for me, that happened in June last year. And when you got five years clear, did you buy into it? Did you fully believe that it was going to be all good from then on? Yeah, mate, I did. You know, I was by that stage, you know, I was the fittest and healthiest I'd been, you know, I was a captain in the army, my partner and I moved to Brisbane. It was, um, you know. And you must have been feeling like, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And Oh, for sure. But by that stage, you'd gone through e- even more, more than most people ever do in their lives. And you're still young and you've managed to make, it, make your way out of it and you've still achieved your dream. And you must be going, all right, that was terrible, but here we go. We're going to make up for it. Oh, absolutely. And, then, and then what? Well, absolutely. And that's it. You know, I was a, I was a proud testicular cancer survivor, but- it's almost as though the the cancer no longer defined me. I felt like it was yes, I was a proud survivor, but I was I was also a survivor, and I was a you know I was also an army captain. I was also you know I had so much more in my life that I was just you know ready to embrace. And like yeah, you said, I'm ready, ready to stop talking about cancer. Yeah, correct, correct. And, I, <laughs> and then, you know I no longer had the you know six monthly you know CT scans and the follow up doctors and this and like there's always something. There's always something. Yeah. Whereas I finally felt free. Almost, it's kind of like you know, fuck yeah, I'm, I'm now a normal 26-year-old male, um, which, you yeah, know, which, which, which awesome- all of those like myself who, who aren't sick, you know, take it for granted, uh, just being, being healthy and being able to focus on whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, and no one would be able to appreciate that more than you. For sure, mate. And I think that's the biggest one is when you do go through something like that, then when you are at the completely other end of the spectrum and you are fit and healthy and what I'd classify as a normal young 26-year-old male, you do feel, 
you know, you feel a sense of freedom. You feel like, oh, awesome. I can, finally, I, I'm, I'm at this stage in my life that you kind of, you, you know, you, you do sometimes, like you said, take your health for granted. And it's not until you go through something like that where you realize that, holy shit, life can be pretty precious and it can be taken away pretty quickly. So that's when you, you really just soak up those moments when you do feel, you know, fantastic. It's been said before that uh, a healthy person has a hundred goals and a sick person only has one. Mm. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? Do you think that's true? Look, to, uh, I wouldn't say completely true in, in the fact that you know, maybe not just one, but I do agree that perspective is a big thing for me and you learn how you, know, you put everything in perspective. And so when you are sick or when you are unwell or when you are going through something like cancer, yes, that is your priority. Yes, your health is your number one priority. Uh, however, it's also important to realize, you know, the other things in your life that also truly matter. So for me, it wouldn't just be the the one thing. It would also be, you know, for me, family uh, and friends and those types of things. But that being said, yeah, you're right. The, the little stresses in life that we will have from a day-to-day basis, like, you know, getting frustrated with the traffic or, you know, not paying a bill on time or, you know, going over for, you know, data on your mobile plan or whatever random yeah. things that pop up in your mind and you, you find yourself getting frustrated and getting angry about that mm. that really does just go away. Like when you're in the midst of chemo or, you know, recovery. If you're in a position to get legitimately upset about that, you're blessed. Well, correct. And then, and I, it's funny, I've found myself over the time I have been in a normal life again feeling I am getting angry at those certain things and I kind of take a step back and go, hang on, <laughs> what are you doing and, here? And someone says, oh, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny and I, I find myself doing that. I go, I almost get angry at myself, go, hey, wh- why am I – Getting angry at this right now, like it's it's yeah, it's, I'm alive. <laughs> I'm alive. It's so trivial in the um the biggest you know <laughs> the bigger things in life. So look, I think that's a it's a it is a quite a a powerful quote you you just read out there because you know in a way it is true with the whole putting things in perspective. And so you got through the five years, and then uh, immediately, more or less after that, what what happened? Yeah, I got through my testicular cancer journey. Um, I like to call it a journey because it was, um, and then. That feeling I was just explaining of feeling normal and feeling like a normal 26-year-old, I really only had that for the better part of two months. Uh, From receiving that clear scan and, and, you know, celebrating with my partner and just, you know, feeling on top of the world to two months later, finding myself back into a doctor's rooms uh, and this time being told that, you know, I had a completely unrelated, not even related to testicular cancer, uh, that I had another cancer and that was bowel cancer. So it was a... Yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty short-lived feeling for those two months. And then I found myself at rock bottom again um, in those doctor's rooms. The reason that I've heard you say before that you even ended up in those doctor's rooms was because of what you learned from testicular cancer, though. Yeah, spot on. And that's the big part of my story. And for, for those listening, if you want to take one thing, at, one thing out of it, and I certainly did from my testicular cancer days, you know, being a young, naive, 21-year-old male who thought I was invincible and put off my you know, symptoms when I had them, fast track five years and I was now a 26-year-old, a lot more sort of wise and educated young male who had gone through my testicular cancer days, I was at least proactive with my health. So, you know, my my missus used to laugh at me because I'd be often be a hypochondriac, which I think it's understandable for what I've gone through. But in a way, that's what probably saved my life because, you know, I started having these complications with my bowel and most normal young men especially would probably just put that down to, to nothing and probably not do anything about it. But because I'd gone through what I'd gone through and because I knew the importance of early detection, yes, I was bloody proactive. And as soon as my bowel started playing up and, and I was pretty, pretty vigilant with it, I said, bugger it, I'm going off to my, my doctor and I saw a gastroenterologist. And, and um, you know, before I knew it, I was having a colonoscopy because that's what I wanted to, to have and I wanted to make sure everything was all right because I was pretty paranoid. And... <laughs> Believe it or not, I ended up getting diagnosed with bowel cancer. So, look, yes, it was unlucky, and yes, I fall into a re- like a very small minority. But if you can learn anything from that, it's that you know you'd rather be more proactive with your health and go to a doctor rather than putting off symptoms. Now, how much of a difference did that detection make for the bowel cancer? Oh, it's huge. So, my bowel cancer, and unfortunately, I've still got some surgery coming up. But look, it's um, you know the end of the day, it was confined to the bowel, which means it was it wasn't advanced bowel cancer. And the difference from that, you know, even from the start, my percentages for my survival rate for bowel cancer has been well north of say 80, 85%. Whereas, you know, if it spreads just beyond the bowel wall, 
you then need to have very full-on 12 months of chemo and radiations and potential surgeries and then your percentage is less than sort of you know less than 50 percent in a lot of cases and the further it spreads then it gets down to sort of you know less than 20 and it's kind of a you know a terminal it's it, bowel cancer you know it kills more Australians uh, than any other cancer behind lung cancer and it kills more young people from 25 to 30 than any other cancer so it's not just an older person's cancer um, but the unfortunate thing is it, it is a killer if it spreads and that's because it can be pretty dangerous so yeah for me it early detection quite literally saved my life so from when you started noticing symptoms symptoms to when you went into the doctor how how much time passed there were you in there like within a week yeah, so look, I've um, I'm quite, I'm a bit unique in the fact that I've always had um problems with my bowel for most of my life. I've had a bit of bowel disease, IBS. You know, I've always had inconsistent bowel movements. So I've always, it's not like I went from a you know two poops a day, normal bowels my whole life to a you know passing blood in my stools and running off to a doctor. It was mine was more progressive, I suppose. I went from having pretty bad bowel movements to you know before I knew it, I had really bad bowel movements, and as soon as I noticed for my really bad bowel movements, as soon as I noticed that, I was basically off to the doctor, you know, within a week, really, I kind of thought, you know, something's not right here. I'm, you know, going to the bathroom more, you know, there's a few more things going on. So I was bloody proactive and I'm fortunate enough in the army that you can kind of get doctor's appointments pretty frequently. And I was, uh, I was onto it straight away. And you managed to get cancer in what guys would say are the two most embarrassing places the places that we don't want to get checked out more than anything else. Mm. Um, but I suppose also uh, two of the most probably common as well, like the ones that we need to look out for probably the most and not be afraid to go and see the doctor for. Yeah, for um, sure. It's, it's, it's yeah. funny now. Like I, you know, I'm just so, obviously just so used to my body and doctor's appointments and talking about poo and testicles and all this type of stuff. It's just so normal to me. And, and, you know, I, I, I now talk to my mates, uh, you know, over a few beers, and you can still see they get a little bit kind of like, you know, you're talking a bit about, crazy about, yeah, it. a bit, you know, what, <laughs> like talking about their poop or bloody balls or whatever. Yeah. But that's okay because I think that's what needs to change. That we need to realise that something like, you know, poo, for example. Yes, it's a gross topic. Yes, whatever. But we all do it, right? We all do it. You know, some people do it multiple times every single day. You're just talking about men, though, aren't you? Oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. Women don't, you know. Poor <laughs> but, you know but even that, you know, it's and look, I've um, it's just one of those things that it's like Dahlia, who I'm, I'm really good friends with, and we do a podcast together, and and she's awesome because she's a, obviously a female, and she's she loves talking about poo and poop, and and it, she's just made it her own. I think it's uh, it's pretty awesome, and um, it's almost refreshing for young people to kind of embrace that because you're right, it can be an embarrassing topic, but I think if we shy away from the the realizing it's embarrassing and for someone to go hey i've got a bit of um you know runny poos or inconsistent bowel movements what do you reckon and they're open to talk about that that could be the difference in saving buddy old mate's life really at the end of the day so because you know it's the embarrassment that stops people isn't it because it's the it's what other people are going to think and you know even a a doctor a healthcare professional who talks about it all day and sees it all day they're not going to care but in our minds we have some sort of image problem that you know, that doesn't fit the cool me who doesn't have problems like that, you know? Oh, for sure, mate. And, then, you know, that's for men. That's just men for a lot of men. And, you know, mental health is exactly the same for for a lot of men to kind of say that, you know, they're, they're struggling or, you know, they're going through some, you know, bad days and, you know, their mental health is really struggling and they've got, you know, a bit of depression or something. Even that, a lot of men feel like they can't just openly tell their mates that over a few beers, they almost feel like, you know, they're weak by doing that. And it's the same thing for your physical health. Men think that, you know, they need to just put up with having bad bowel movements or put up with a lump on their testicle because, you know, it's it's embarrassing. But hang on a second. Just get on with it. Yeah, just get on with it. <laughs> as soon as people realise that, holy shit, it's not embarrassing. We all go through these things in life. You are the only one in your head that is making it embarrassing. Just talk about it. You know, no one's going to go, you're a bloody freak. Why are you talking about that, mate? Shut the hell up. They'll go, Oh, yeah, no worries. People talk about it. It's just you build this stuff up in your head, really. Yeah, and it's only when you don't mention it to anyone else and you don't seek help and you don't hear other people's stories that you build it up into some big thing that stops you taking action. Mm, mm. You know, if if you share it or you, with anyone, someone who's a a professional or otherwise, I think generally they're only going to make you feel better about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's just being brave enough to take that first step towards actually not hiding it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So, with the bowel cancer, they did they 
immediately say they had to remove the bowel? Yeah, so look, um, they definitely had to go on for surgery and the initial recommendation was to remove my bowel because of my history of, you know, a bit of bowel disease and also my malignancy of, of two different cancers. Um, however, I ended up only having about, I say only, but uh, about 90% of my large bowel or colon removed and they got rid of the cancer. It was riddled with cancer. I had a pretty horrific experience in hospital because that was due to a bloody couple of complications and I was in there for about a good month and um, you know, then I lost about 22 kilos and it was a pretty horrendous time in hospital. But as far as the bowel cancer was concerned, I got rid of that cancer from my bowel and eventually I went on to, to recovering and, and, um, that was literally almost a year, a year ago today, um, you know, just passed. So it's, it's been up just over a year since that, that, uh, journey. And unfortunately I've, uh, <laughs> I do have some more bowel surgery coming up, uh, but hopefully that will be the last of it. You yeah, see, so you went from being young and fit and healthy to having cancer, being in chemo and sort of feeling like rock bottom and then built yourself all the way back up to the top, became an army captain, fitter than you've ever been, sure that you were going to get past cancer and then brought all the way back down again in another way. When it happened the second time, did you have that same mindset of, well, you know, we've just got to take this head on and do what we can short term to get to the next step and I'm not going to let it bring me down? Or did you go, this is fucking bullshit uh, and harder, harder than the first time? Yeah, look, definitely the second option. And people often ask me that and and they they sometimes say, oh, you know, you're better prepared than anyone to go through this. And like, okay, you know, <laughs> yes, I've been through you're it. You're thanks. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't mean that I'm better prepared. If anything, it could mean that it's it's more difficult in the fact that I know how difficult some of the parts can be. And and, and I think it, it mentally it's more difficult. And like you said, that's one of the most difficult parts of my whole, whole sort of story is when I, ju- I just got diagnosed with bowel cancer and... I left the rooms with my partner and I just remember I just completely burst into tears and like I was just like, you know, the most emotional I've ever been. It was just like I just couldn't control my emotions and I think it was just because then and there I knew that exactly what you just said. I'd just been on such a a high. I'd just gone through all of that and then here I am again finding myself at literally square one, step one, stage one, whatever you want to call it, to say you've got bowel cancer, you're about to go through, buddy treatment for it, unknowns come into play, telling your family that you've got another cancer, all those difficult parts that come with it. It was just it was just it, a nightmare. Yeah, it was again. just it was just so much to take on. It was just and I think it was there's only so much you can I don't think anyone in that situation could just be like, oh well I've had testicular cancer. I'll get through <laughs> this one again and just kind of rock up to the car and go through with it. Like it's just yeah, it's pretty it was pretty difficult. Did you feel like you know, the world again, um I've said asked before but that the world sort of had it in for you or that you were cursed or that, you know, some sort of power that be didn't want you to live? Yeah, look, I, you, you mentioned the angry angry point earlier on in the uh, the um, the episode and at this time I definitely was angry. Like I, I did feel the whole like, you know, yes, the why me, like this fucking sucks. Like surely I don't have to go through another bout of cancer. I'm only 26. Um, so I was angry. I was pretty pissed off. I just thought like, you know, there was nothing I could do. I felt like I was, I was always just a sick kid. I was just always unhealthy. And, and even now, you know, <laughs> like I said, a year later, I've still got surgery coming up. So you do get to a stage where you, just, you think that it's never ending and you do think it's like Groundhog Day where it's like, oh, here we go again, here we go again. And I have one good year and here we go again. I have five good years, here we go again. So yes, that does be in the back of your mind to think, well, shit, this is what it's going to be like for the rest of my life. And, you know, yes, that's not, you know, that, that, that method of thinking isn't productive, but at the same time, it's it's um, pretty understandable that I get into those mindset. I'd imagine most people could conceive maybe of going through one of these major ordeals and surviving it, um, but you've endured that extreme pain and difficulty again and again. Why are you still here on this earth, do you feel? Yeah, look, it's an interesting point because I still have a, a few sort of massive hurdles to overcome. Uh, but that being said... I've uh, I've often said when I've got what I've gone through, it, it's it's I didn't choose to get testicular cancer. I didn't choose to get bowel cancer. However, it's almost given me this unique opportunity in a way to use what I've gone through to help others. And if I hadn't gone through these lots of cancers, 
I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have even met my partner. We met as a result of my testicular cancer. Uh, and you know, I wouldn't be in this position to try and help people and make a difference. You know, If I was a fit and healthy 27-year-old who had never had any adversity in their life trying to give advice to another you know, another young person going through their own, you know, heart um, adversity or difficulty in their life. They'd kind of say, mate, who are you type of thing? Whereas because I've gone through these significant things in my life and I'm so passionate and trying to use what I've gone through to, to help others for the importance of early detection or, you know, putting everything in perspective or, you know, I'm also a big advocate for mental health. I think that I'm more, I've got that credibility to sh- show like, shit, look what he's gone through and I've come out the other side. So in a way, that's what I feel like it's kind of my purpose is now in life that I've, yes, it's fucking sucked what I've gone through. Yes, it's going to continue to suck with my, my hurdles that I've got to come. But I've also been given this unique opportunity to actually make a difference in people's lives because of it. And I think for me, that's a pretty powerful thing. How do you see yourself differently now from when you were 21? Uh, look, I'm definitely um, more... <laughs> more, I guess, wise to the intricacies of life. You must feel a lot older than 27. Yeah, look, look, sometimes I do. And like I've, um, you know, I, I happily speak to people who are, you know, 10, 20 years older than me who, you know, they get a lot out of just from what I say. And I don't think anything other than that, that I, I often say that age is just a number. And I truly believe that because, you know, you can go through some massive adversity in your life in your early early days and and you know you, you can learn so much about yourself so yeah look i've learned a lot from when i was a, a naive young 21 year old male who thought i was bulletproof and invincible to fast tracking to a 27 year old male who realizes that life is pretty bloody precious we're not invincible and i suppose to really you know take take your health seriously and, and not take things for granted and what uh, role did your partner play in uh, the last couple of years oh look my partner um you know, she's been amazing. She, um, she, yeah, she's been there by my side all through this whole bowel cancer journey, and and she's a nurse, which is a, which definitely helps. And I'm about to go through, you know, major surgery, which require a, a stoma, um, or an ileostomy bag. And you know, the fact that she's dealt with those before at, at work on a on a daily basis, it's um, it's pretty amazing to not, not only have the emotional support of a, a loved one by your side, but also to have someone to to almost experience the journey with me and, and actually help me as well um, is is pretty amazing. And I'm very lucky that I've got an amazing partner and also an amazing sort of family and support network to help me go through this because it can be a lonely time and it, it can be something that it really can be difficult. And I think you really have to use all the support you can get and leverage off all the support you can get to help you get through it. How do you not let cancer define you at this stage? Because there's so much more that you're doing you know, in this mental health and, and health in general space and the, you know, outstanding young man that you are. But obviously because cancer's played such a massive role in your life, how do you, yeah, not let that define you? Yeah, look, it is a good point. And I, um, I do think that's it. I haven't really been asked that question before, actually. And I think it's a good point because I don't, although I like to use what I've gone through to help others, like I touched on before, I also don't, see myself as a solely, you know, just a cancer survivor. Like there, like you said, there is more to me than just my cancer battles. Um, you know, I'm still a I'm still a serving member in the army, you know, I've still got lots on to do in this life. Um you know, I still love the footy. I'm still a normal guy. I still like to drink. I still like to go out socializing with mates. And I think sometimes, you know, people mean well by, you know, wanting to know how you are, but sometimes you do feel like, you know, you're people you f- get sick yeah, of it. Yeah. You get almost a bit sick of it. Like people and I'm not rightly so. They almost feel sorry for you, and you kind of, in a way, you can almost sense they treat you differently. Some people they kind of think you know you've got this major surgery coming up, or you've been through all this, and they kind of treat you almost like a cancer survivor. Whereas I think sometimes it's really good to just be like a normal 27 year old bloke again, and um, you know, go to the footy with your mates and have some drinks, and not be that kind of you know, oh, you're such an inspiration, you know, blah blah. blah. You know, I'm not having. Well, just for that, just for that reason, anyway. Yeah, for correct. I'm not having a go at people. Oh, don't get me wrong. When I get told that, oh, you're inspiring, whatever, like that is very humbling, absolutely. But at the same time, it's also quite refreshing every now and then to kind of just forget, you know, that you're this cancer survivor, that you've gone through this stuff, and just talk, just forget all about that, and just kind of live in the moment a little bit. And I think that's an important thing. Yeah, because it's so intense. There've got to be times where you just like. All right, I just don't want to think about sure. it right now, mate. And that, absolutely, <laughs> I think it's um, that's you're spot on. That's exactly the 
that is it. You, you, you don't want to think about it sometimes and you just kind of want to distract yourself. You just want to just, you know, yeah, be a normal bloke every now and then, I suppose. Do you think about uh, the time where no one talks about cancer, you know, reaching that point where there's no more cancer and we're just not even thinking about that at all? Is that something you, you sort of daydream about, I suppose? Yeah, or? look, I think I think no matter what I do in my life, I think the fact I've gone through these two two massive battles with cancer it's always going to be there for me. And I think that's not a bad thing because I, I am passionate in, like I said, using what I've gone through to help others. And that's, you know, what 25 Stay Alive is all about. So in a way, I know I'm realistic that will always be there, part of my life. That is That will be part of me, but that's okay too. That's okay. I think it's just finding that balance to go, you know what, you know, I see myself working in, in foundations in, in years to come, my post-army career. So if I'm going to be working in, you know, cancer foundations, for example, it's a high chance that cancer is going to be, you know, all around me, which once again, I don't see that as a bad thing if I can hopefully, you know, help others as, as a result of that. Yeah, it's a beautiful outlook. So when you get through this next surgery, uh, what do you want to do after that? What's your focus after so that? So honestly, my, my focus is <laughs> it's just point, just like you said, just getting through the bloody surgery because I had such a shit time last year with my complications and emergency surgeries. And so I just want to get through the surgery, have no complications get out of hospital and then for me the recovery will come like it's just adjusting to a stoma like that'll all come I know that that'll come and that'll be okay it's just getting to that stage and then long term you know it's just adjusting to my new bow setup um I know that it's going to be a change in my life I'm preparing for that uh but that's okay too I think knowing that I'll never be able to get bowel cancer again is um you know that down the track once I get to this short-term hurdle that'll be a very rewarding feeling to know that um and then look Long term, I just want to get get fit and healthy again, and 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 I've said it many times before, but I truly believe that this will be my last, you know, major sort of surgery, um, you know, that I'll have for the foreseeable future. I, I truly believe that this time, and I think that long term, hopefully, I can just kind of move on with my life. And like I said, post army, I've got aspirations with you know getting involved in foundations and really just kind of using what I've gone through for the greater good, I suppose, and. And, um, you know, the old cliche, turning a negative into a positive. And I think that I've got potential to do that. I just have to get through the short sort of journey first. Are you the man you want to be? Yeah, look, I am. I think I wouldn't have uh, been here without my two battles with cancer. And I'd, as I guess people would say, that's pretty fucked up. But as uh, strange as it sounds, I wouldn't change things because, like I said, I wouldn't have met my partner and I wouldn't be in this position I am today. And I wouldn't be the person who I am today if it wasn't for what I've gone through. So I think I've been given this opportunity and I'm, I am who I am and I've got, you know, this opportunity to, to really use that for, for the, my advantage as well. And when other problems come, crop up in other areas of your life after going through this twice, how are you going to come at things uh, mentally from, from now? Yeah, look, it's, uh, it is a good question. And, and by saying that, I still have days where I'm, you know, I feel like I do complain about the more trivial things in life and just because I've gone through this doesn't mean it's just a, a literally a light switch to say, boom, I'm this, you know, complete changed man and I'm like a, you know, nothing will nothing ever bother will ever me because yeah. that's just not right. And it's just, it's, um, I know that's not the case. However, I have learned so much about myself and more importantly, or most importantly, my mental health too. And I think that's hugely important that, you know, even seeing a psychologist just because you're not depressed, but because your actual mental health is good, you can still see a psychologist to go, why is my mental health good? So I think, um, I'm really big at being proactive with my mental health and I think, you know, long term with that, I think it's um, from what I've gone through, it has almost learned how to to manage situations more effectively, I suppose, and to, to when things do seem like they're in a really shitty situation to go, actually, I know this could be a whole lot worse, you know, take a step back, acknowledge it and just kind of move on. And we know you're not invincible and neither am I, but do you feel unstoppable in a way no absolutely not <laughs> it's um i'd like to say i do and um but i'm also I, I get scared like the you know the rest of us and i've got this major surgery in two weeks time and, and i'd be lying if i said i wasn't anxious for it and i wasn't slightly scared for what was going to happen for it it's you know I, I don't just go yeah fuck yeah another surgery let's just take it head on and embrace it it's just um yeah <laughs> I, I i'm you know is it just as is it just as scary every time or a bit different? But still yeah, scary? for sure. And like you know, I get get anxious all the time still with these types of things. So that being said, I do feel like you know whatever life throws at me, 
I know I've got through significant adversity before and I do know that some way, shape or form, I will get through it. So I think knowing that it does, that does help as well. And uh, people who are fully healthy, who have aspirations and things that they want to go and make happen for themselves, but perhaps they haven't taken that step yet or they're still umming and ahhing, but you know, it's, they really have the opportunity to and they're in imperfect health. Yeah, what would you say to those people um, just about the opportunity that you have if you're, if you're in good health? Yeah, look, the, uh, it's a good question. The biggest one is that your health is everything, right? Like without your health, everything else is irrelevant. If you don't have your health, you can't do those things you want to do. So if you do have your health and you are, you know, you, you do have a clean bill of health, don't take that for granted. And that's often we do. We often find something else to complain about or we often, you know, find something else to, to worry about. But if you have your health first and foremost, you are so far ahead of so many people in this world who don't have their health. So to know that you've got it, don't take it for granted. Go do those things that, you know, you a lot of people wouldn't be able to do. Go, you know, go travel if you want to travel. Go do the old cliche bucket list type of list type of items because honestly, I mean it when I say it that life is so precious that it can change so quickly. And, you know, I even look at I've got this major surgery like I've touched on coming up and it's gonna I'm gonna be out of action for, for several, several months and there's gonna be a lot of things I miss out on with that because I physically won't be able to do it. But there are so many people far worse than me and you know, I've got a good mate who's a quadriplegic, for example, and he's actually currently traveling over in Europe as a quadriplegic because he's kind of said, fuck it, I've always wanted to travel, I'm going to do it. So there's no excuse. If you've got your health, just value that and kind of go, well, that's bloody important and it is the most important thing really. So don't take it for granted is my biggest message out of that. And what's your message to young guys who might jump out of the shower and think that they might have something on their testicle that's a bit out of the ordinary or um, some other problem that in the back of their mind they know probably is an issue, what would you say to them? Yeah, look, first first thing is I'd say well done because at least they're being proactive and checking their testicles in the shower because that's probably where you should check it. But, you know, if you do notice something, if you do notice anything, and like I said earlier on this episode, learn to know what your normal is. And if you notice anything that's not your normal and it's you know it's it's there and it's it's bothering you don't just think it's going to go away and that was what i went where i went wrong never think something's going to go away and go to your gp end of the day go to your gp they're the ones who will know and like i said there is nothing wrong being told that there is nothing wrong <laughs> uh, and that's often people fear <laughs> that to think that you know well what if nothing's wrong it's like well that's a good thing you know but it, brilliant Have exactly <laughs> at least you know so like i always say you better be safe than sorry and if you've got a lump bump, rash or whatever that's bothering you, go to your GP and I will just finish off on that and just touch that actually. You're always, always entitled to a second opinion. So just because you go to a gym, I've had this before when people tell me that they've had these bowel issues, they've gone to a GP and they said, you're too young to get bowel cancer. They send them away with, you know, emodium type of thing. Whereas, you know, they've ended up having bowel cancer two years later and it's, um, it's been a lot more serious. So, not scaring people to say you're going to have bowel cancer or cancers, but by saying that, if you're not satisfied with, you know, what the GP says to you, they're only human too. They're not, you know, these godly figures that whatever they say is 100% correct. So if you ever need a second, third, or even fourth opinion, it's your body, it's your health, and you're 100% entitled to it. So it's an important point to, to note. All right, Hugo, I know you don't like being called inspirational, but I think it's pretty hard to get away from the fact that you're definitely... You definitely inspire me anyway, um, and having heard your, your story uh, a couple of different times and, and hearing that it's you know, very much ongoing and it's, uh, I feel, you know, even though we don't know each other, I feel almost a part of it in some way, just hearing the updates and hearing that it's still going and then something else comes along and you still maintain this incredible resilient attitude and not only with your own struggle but trying to use that as a platform, turn it, turn it into a positive to help other people with your, um, with your podcast and coming on the show today and not, you know, despite all this travesty of uh, difficulties that have uh, happened in your life, you're not letting that define you and oppositely you're using it to actually bring about a positive change in the world um, and your attitude is just second to none and I think people could learn so much from hearing the way that you uh, refuse to say die and still are so um, 
motivated to get so much out of your life and all you need is a, a chance to go and make it happen or you need is a clean bill of health uh, to be able to go and do all those things that you want to do. And I think with you saying, you know, if you're healthy, you've got no excuses. Uh, anyone who listens to this has got to, and they are healthy and, they, and they've got something they want to do, they've got to think, I've got to go and make it happen. So I think that's the power that, that you wield. And um, yeah, you, you're an outstanding young man. No, look, thanks, man. I really appreciate the, the time to come on your podcast. And it's, it's people like you who are, who are helping create that ripple effect to, to hopefully, you know, positively influence the, the other young men out there and you know who knows save some lives even thanks so much mate it, it, it always makes such a huge difference to be able to talk about these things and the more we can do that the more of a difference we'll make the more people will get checked and the more people will live happy lives i reckon anytime mate cheers for having me if you got something out of this episode please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts it really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters Also, guys, it's really important that we're part of the conversation about our health and well-being, and it's easy to do. Just Google Freemasons Foundation Center for Men's Health and click on the Men's Health Register to sign up and help out with much-needed surveys and studies that make us all better off. If you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved, get onto the Youngblood Podcast Community Facebook group and follow Youngblood Podcast on Instagram. And if you're keen to get in touch with me, email youngbloodpodcast, all one word, at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Young Blood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.